Did you know, Robbie, hmm. I did get some feedback and that was it was the last podcast, the Neil Diamond one? Yeah. Yeah. So I got some feedback and I asked the person how good was that Neil Diamond impression? And she was I think she was in such awe of how good it was she couldn't she couldn't speak. <laughs> and I think it was the best one she'd ever heard. That's that's what you assume based on her stunned silence. Right. Well, what she, what she did was she stammered and then said, "I don't hear a lot of Neil Diamond impressions." <laughs> what I interpreted that in was obviously she was in stunned awe silence and then said, "You just you just dwarfed all Neil Diamond impressions. I feel like I've never heard a real Neil Diamond impression. Having heard this one. Yeah, having heard this one, I now have realized I have never heard one before. I think that's what she meant. I think that's, I, I feel like that's safe to assume. Welcome to the Faith Church Peshtigo podcast. You can connect with us online at faithpeshtigo.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Faith Church Peshtigo. Today's podcast features a conversation between Pastor Jay and Pastor Robbie talking about the sermon from October 11th, 2020. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay. Join, joining with me is Robbie. Hello, everyone. And it is a gloriously crisp fall day. It is. I love fall. Fall is officially my favorite. Yeah. I have a new strategy for the political season. Let's find things that we can all agree on and frame them as though they are hard-hitting issues. <laughs> for example? For example, fall foliage. For or against? <laughs> I want to do a poll. I, I think it's adorable that you think that there wouldn't actually be opposing views. I'm just talking about the actual colors while they're on the trees. But yeah, you're right. They would. You know that there's somebody shaking an angry fist at the foliage that they have to rake out of their yard. It's true. I, depending on the day, it might be me because the the needles in my yard are absurd. But absurd. I, I just don't understand. So you basically just crushed... You just crushed me right there. I thought that the one thing our country could unite around... It's not going to be fall foliage, man. ...was fall foliage. Everybody loves fall colors. Also, also, this is the moving... It's been 20 years since I've lived in a place that even has fall foliage. So much of the country can't can't relate to this issue, Jay. But they I, all I wish, love it. I wish we could unite around it. Well, that's true. They all love they it every love bit it as much as like the Hallmark movies. Like they're the Hallmark fall movies right now. Like the, that... That is a good point. And it's it, still, you know, in California, they're still running the car commercial of the guy driving down yeah. the windy road with the autumn leaves blowing out from under the speeding car. Which don't exist in California. That's true. So, yeah, yeah everybody loves that. I just feel like we could unite the country. But you're right. If you started getting into the disposal of them or the work that is entailed or how short it lasts, like that you're going to inevitably get that's into. Really, but, yeah, every, that's right. but everyone would agree with that, too. So even if you're, you're not. That's you know what you're onto something there. So we can all unite around mm -hmm. how much we enjoy looking at it. Yes. And how much we don't enjoy cleaning it all up once the very brief season of looking at it is over. Yes. This this should be your political platform. This is my platform. 
A vote for Jay is a vote for foliage. Just looking at it. And then underneath it, and we all figured out how to dispose it, dispose of it together. See, it's it's unifying platforms like this that we need right now. I feel like it is. I think I'm going to run. Is it too late to get on the ballot? Uh, you can be a write-in. Write me in. If you like fall foliage, vote for Jay. That's it. Oh, man. Is this is this what we've, if what you we've come like, to? If you're pro-foliage, <laughs> vote for Jay. I'm trying out different slogans. Excuse me, sir. Do you like fall foliage? I do. Well, then you will want to know that there is only one candidate who is running on the platform of fall foliage. I have not heard a single position from any of the current candidates regarding fall foliage. Not one. Not one. No one's promised to put fall foliage back up on the trees. Hmm. No one's promised to get more foliage in California. I'm... I can run on this. There's, you're on. You might be onto something here, Jay. I just, I just like the hard hitting. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. How do you feel about foliage? Foliage? Yes, fall foliage. I like it. Excellent. Would you be willing to sign our petition to enact a law that requires deciduous trees to turn <laughs> colors? I, I believe I would. Well, there's only one candidate who has promised to make that happen. I feel like that's not actually any more outlandish than some of the promises the current candidates nope. are making. Not at all. I feel like it's right in line. All right. Fair enough. Done. You almost have me convinced. <laughs> I just might write you in. Write it in. Well, should we talk about something more important? I'd like to. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, how about the message on Sunday? I thought it was novel idea. <laughs> I thought it was. Hey, I got an idea. How about we talk about the thing we've talked about every week? I didn't say it was a new idea. Oh, just a good one. <laughs> I uh, I got some great feedback on, from the message. It led to some really great discussions. So I always I always love that. I always love um, the the sermon being the impetus, if you will, to fruitful discussion because that's where you really get to con uh, kind of work out how do I actually obey this thing right because I don't that doesn't really happen in the sermon because I'm trying to listen or I'm trying not to listen depending on how I feel about what the preacher is saying and and I'm not I'm not felt like not, a veiled huh? um, that felt like a veiled slam a not so veiled slam no I, well no I, I said depending mm -hmm. on what the preacher mm -hmm. not necessarily okay always okay you okay um no but the, the, just the point being that's not where i'm like right. typically we're we're working out the 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 nuts and bolts of okay how do i actually apply this to my life because that's why we're preaching right that's why we're learning the bible not to gain more knowledge but because jesus actually intends us to believe to to, to not just believe it but obey it right so i always love when we have those follow-up discussions where we can hash out how do i actually obey this personally. Um, so in light of that, one of the things that you said 
was, um, as it relates to obedience, you said righteousness is often defined, this is a paraphrase, but I think pretty close. You can correct me if I'm out of line here. But Your paraphrase is no doubt better than right. how I articulated the first way. <laughs> I like that you so quickly agreed with that, right? Yeah, right, yeah. I, no, did, right. I didn't say right, buddy. You did. Check are you the little, tape. You feel a little sensitive today. Are you sensitive? Just, are you feeling sensitive? No, I'm okay. I think you're great, buddy. Just keep going. Okay. So righteousness is defined as the things that I do or I am comfortable with. Um, and, and and sometimes that, that falls into like things that are like not even biblical at all. But typically, you know, with our best efforts, it at least falls into these are the things that I'm excited about obeying. Um, and so you better be obeying the same things that I am, um, even if... I may or may not be ignoring other aspects of scripture. So, so my, my question is, uh, how do we, how do I protect my heart from that idea of defining righteousness as the things that I am most comfortable with? Because my, my thought, when I was kind of wrestling with this is my thought is you can't just say, well, we should read the Bible because typically we've already convinced ourselves that our way of thinking is biblical. Right? That's why I feel so strongly about it, because I've convinced myself, well, this is what the Bible says, but but I'm, but that might not be the case. Uh, oftentimes, it's not the case. Oftentimes, it's other influences that have led me to this decision, and I just kind of have this nebulous, like, I'm pretty sure that's what the Bible commands. So how do I protect my heart from from defining righteousness as what I prefer? Yeah, I think that's a that's a tough one because you're right that we all we're we're just wired to do that, right? I mean, righteousness talks is you know, in that word is being right, and you know we all can think of people who just always think they're right. The problem is that we don't realize that's everybody, including ourselves. So you may, you you could even be a person who doesn't have a lot of strong opinions about a lot of things. But everybody has those areas. Everybody has areas where you just say, ah, I'm not really the person to comment on that as to which method of leaf disposal is best. So I may not have a strong opinion about that. But if I do have a strong opinion about that, then I, by definition, think I'm right. If I didn't think I was right, I would think something else. And then I would be right, right about that. So, um, of course, when I run into another person who has a different view on something that I feel strongly about, I'm going to think I'm right. And the gap, the leap from just feeling like I'm right to feeling self-righteous is like, it's very small. That's a very small leap. Um, and so that's why I was saying that we we tend to, we just tend to not notice that about mm-hmm. ourselves. We just think it's obvious. So that's why, I mean, right. how many times have you said, well, this is so obvious. How can everybody not see this? Because it's not obvious. It's only obvious in your world which is why you think you're so right. And then right. that's the problem with the groupthink thing we see going on right now, which is you surround yourself with all people who see it exactly the same way you do, and that only solidifies um, and actually in, in intensifies your view that, that you're right. right. And, um, and so this is a danger. Obviously, it's a danger in the political world. We could easily go down that road that is clearly happening right now in the political world. But it also happens in the church when churches become... Um, just more and more split and divided based around um, more and more fringe issues. Yeah, that's a great point. And so now all of a sudden I'm in a church that um, does communion in this particular way or baptism in this particular way or worship in this particular way, and I'm only 
fellowshipping and worshiping with people who view who have come to that same conclusion and think they're right and the fact that a hundred percent of the people that I'm with all agree on this thing only intensifies my view that obviously anybody who's ever read the Bible would do you know baptism in this way right and right. and that's obviously dangerous so I would say that obviously God does baptism right. my way right because the hundred people I'm with in worship do it that way too and I think so that that is the that's the first thing that I would say is is biblical community. So you said, and I agree with you, that's a really important distinction to say it can't the answer can't just be, well, I read my Bible because I'm going to be wired to grab the things from Scripture that fit into the paradigm I've created. Absolutely. And and then use that as evidence and therefore only intensify my views on this. Right. Um, so the first thing is getting surrounded by biblical community that that disagree. And that, that can actually, you can have conversations. People don't realize, I mean, the reason, the birth of this podcast came out of the fact that basically every Tuesday morning, you know, Robbie, you and I would get into some kind of discussion about, you know, sometimes something that was said, one of us said in the sermon or about something that we read. And you and I would basically get into, a, I, don't, I wouldn't say a debate, but sometimes there would be things that we would disagree on and have different viewpoints. and Robust dialogue. Robust dialogue. And I think it was Christoph that said, you just need to record that because that would be just yeah. helpful to know that, that we don't just walk around with these pre-finished ideas about everything. We literally this morning, I'm bouncing off ideas for the sermon this, this on Sunday and I'm, I'm thinking through those things, and we bounce these ideas off of each other. We ask each other questions. That's why we go then to commentaries also, and we try to read uh, people that are persuaded from a biblical point of view, persuaded towards a different end. So I think all of those things are um, they're incredibly important. Like yeah. read. So, so that would yeah, be— so important. Yeah. So sorry. I know I'm rambling on that, but, but surround yourself with voices— who love the things, the root things are there, the love for Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the authority of Christ, and then, but who have reached different conclusions and read them and talk to them. And you don't have to end up agreeing with them, but there will be areas where you'll be challenged, but what it will do is give you, a, a, I think, a more rounded view of what righteousness actually is. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. That makes it sound like it's a a nebulous view, but I don't know. Rescue me there, Robbie. No, yeah, I, th- I actually, I like that you kind of started to catch yourself at the end there because we do want to be careful that we're not saying it's subjective and it's, right. it's you know, the problem is it's not a exclusive form of groupthink, but an inclusive form of groupthink, right? It's, the point is it's not groupthink. The point is it's not... Uh, you know, because I agree with everyone in my camp, that makes it right. Um, and it's not, well, because I've considered 40 different options and then created this kind of mishmash amalgam of all of that, that makes it right. It's it's saying, understanding that because I am not omniscient, that means I am erring in certain areas. And my camp, even if we're in complete agreement, is wrong about certain things because we are not fully sanctified. We are not Jesus. We are, we're, we're doing the best that we can with, with the feeble intellects um, that, that we have. And, and, and acknowledging 
the fact that there are areas where I am inconsistent. So as you were talking, I was reminded of two quotes that I've encountered over the course of the last week. One of them, I don't actually remember the source. It was one of those things that I just, I read, it kind of seeped in and I don't, I don't remember. Um, but it, it was just a simple quote, don't believe everything you think. Yeah. Just caution yourself that just because you think it doesn't mean it's right necessarily. And just because other people agree with you doesn't necessarily mean it's right. If we as Christians believe in objective truth, that means it exists outside of what I think. Um, and unless my argument is I have reached omniscience, then I have to acknowledge I'm, I am wrong in some areas and need help. I need to listen to somebody who loves Jesus, who loves scripture, but lands on a different opinion in order to stretch my understanding in those things. The other quote that I thought of, that I thought of was from um, Thomas Akempis and the Imitation of Christ, and, and he warns, in judging others, a man labors in vain, errs often, and sins easily. Hmm. But in judging and discussing himself, he labors fruitfully. I thought hmm. that was such a, I mean, first of all, I love the poetic rhythm of how of how he says that but such an important warning of if all of your focus is on what everyone else is doing wrong you, you are doing a fruitless labor you are often very wrong and you are sinning constantly like those are the only three guarantees in that rather than saying okay where like where am i biblically inconsistent and that's that's why you and I bounce these ideas off of each other because we say, hey, this is, the, this is how I've landed as I read this passage. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's an appropriate place to land? Or here's an illustration that I'm trying to use to explain this. Do, do you think this is an accurate illustration? And I need you to sometimes say, no, I don't think that's, that's where it lands and to be able to help hash that stuff out to, to, to help fill in those gaps. Yeah, and I think, I, I think a great exercise in this, and and when I was thinking about okay, well, what do I mean when I was I, I appreciate you saying that that it's not we're not saying that righteousness or that God's righteousness is subjective, because that's that's similar to the law conversation. We just create our own non-law law, mm-hmm. like we just. It, all things then are righteousness rather than only my thing, and that's also not true. But what it does help us, we get to lean on the rest of the body to, it gives us a barometer of how strongly we should feel about some of these things. Hmm. So for example, um, you know, we mentioned the, the, the situation with baptism. You know, Robbie, you and I both have, I grew up in an infant baptism culture. Uh, you did not. But we both have read really top level defenses of infant baptism. Now, at our church, we believe in believer's baptism. We believe that baptism comes after repentance and faith, so it has to be um, has to be a, someone who can make that decision. So we wouldn't baptize infants. But there are authors and theologians and pastors that you and I both respect greatly who have a different view of that. They believe that infant baptism is, is okay. And it's in reading those arguments, that the best arguments of the most godly biblical people on the other side that has gotten, you know, gets me to a place where I say, okay, that is not, that's not a central thing I'm going to hold 
because those arguments are really good. Now, are they ultimately convincing to me? No. Do I still have the view that I have for believer's baptism? Yes. But I, because I, I read that and can understand that and see that and go, okay, I see how you get there. I see the, the posture. I understand that. Well, now that softens. So now when I meet someone who believes in infant baptism, I don't automatically assume, well, you obviously don't read the Bible. Right. I, I, I can f- kind of tease that out a little bit more and have that conversation. And so a practical thing that I would really encourage everybody to do and, and right now, especially in this political season, we keep talking about the unity of the church and how important that is and how divisive all of this has become in our country. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, then I would encourage you to take any political issue that you feel like this is a no-brainer, slam dunk, like why doesn't everybody see this this way? And just, and this is going to be dangerous, but but Google biblical Christian and then the, the opposite view that you have. Does that make sense? That's an interesting idea. I've so, never tried that before. Yeah, it's fascinating. So uh, let's take, um, I'm trying to think of one that's not, come on, Robbie, give me one that. I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not stepping onto that. All right. Let's go tiger trap. <laughs> I will. I'll go with uh, tax cuts. How about that? There you go. There you go. So you may say, obviously what we need is tax cuts because more money in the hands of private citizens is going to be better and in business owners, whatever. Okay. So, but and you just can't understand how other people could view that differently. And if, and again, I'm assuming that you are a biblical Christian and you say that scripture is your authority, then Google biblical Christian in favor of tax hikes and just see what comes up. And I, and most of the time when I've done that, and I've done this quite a bit actually, because I just am curious, like, okay, who's out there saying this, this thing? Like, this seems so obvious to me. Who's out there saying, and sometimes I read the article and I think, well, that was nonsense. (laughs) That is just terrible. That's that's terrible exegesis. It's terrible. And then, and, and that sometimes makes me feel, okay, so now I feel better about this um, about this situation, and, you know, and I read several of them and, and typically looking for people who I know are, are respected and have a, have a history of biblical thought. Um, you gotta be careful cause you're going to get some random guy that wrote one blog post in his entire life. He started a blog in 2008 and wrote a blog about that and why tax hikes are the best. Is that a dig on my blog, Jay? Did you? <laughs> yeah. Robbie wrote a tax hike blog. Oh, um, I think, you got to be careful of that, but I'm just trusting that, like, just start reading that and weigh those arguments and try to do that in a way that is honest with it and, Hmm. and say, okay, is there a biblical case to be made? Does this have any, does this make sense? Do I find it convincing? If I don't, why not? And at the very least, it will strengthen your biblical view as to why you believe the things you believe rather than just saying, well, I was, I was told whether it was by my, my, by my pastor or by my Sunday school teacher or by my Fox News anchor or my MSNBC anchor or the Facebook article or whatever, that we can cite something better and think about these things more deeply yeah. than, than we maybe have been. That's really important because if, if I default to the, I mean, horrifyingly self-righteous phrase that I have used far too often in, in my life of well, I hold this view because I read the Bible. Right. So the reality is uh, there there are so many people 
who know scripture infinitely better than I do that can articulate a very reasonable opposite position to the one that I'm holding. So if, if I'm willing to have the humility to say, well, it's possible they're also reading the Bible and have come to a conclusion based on their intelligent and humble study of it, um, then, as you said, it might not necessarily con- you know, convince me of their position, but at the very least, it, it stirs grace for that. And rather than thinking, well, you're, you know, you're foolish, you're, you don't, if you would just read it, you would understand, and instead say, you, you have a, a deep biblical conviction that leads you to a different position, and I can have grace for that, and, and we can love each other across those, those differences. Um, I also feel like we should probably throw out there, if you hear that and you think, oh my goodness, how on earth do I discern who is a reliable voice and who isn't, we would love to help you with that. If there is an issue that you say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know how to get mm-hmm. the other view of this because when I Google it, all I get is, you know, hate or anger <laughs> or rage or whatever, please let us know. And, and there's a good chance that between one of the pastors, we know a reasonable biblical voice that holds a different opinion that that we could say this would be a safe person to read um, that thinks very differently than you but is doing so based on scripture um, and we, we can help you with that yeah and, and to that point if we can't there's a pretty good chance that there's there is consistency and uniformity in the body of Christ on a particular issue. Which is really great to know. Yes. To know even people who are different politically, who are different, like we all pretty much agree this is a thing. That's that's, that's an appropriate confidence builder. Right. And and I mean, that was like what you, I think you mentioned this, was it last week's podcast about the sword? The question, was that two weeks ago? Whenever that was. Oh, yeah. And you read 24 commentaries <laughs> and they all said the same thing. And... And that when builds you my that, confidence. Yes, it builds my <laughs> confidence that, okay, I, I think I've, I'm on pretty solid ground here that everyone who's ever read this and studied this has concluded the same thing. Um, that's that's important. So it, it all comes, coming bringing it back full circle, it all comes back then to believing what is actually the authority. And if I believe that ultimately I'm the authority, well, that's why I can have an opinion about something and be completely convinced of my own righteousness Mm -hmm. and that I'm obviously right because I know exactly what's in my mind. Well, first of all, Scripture would say we don't fully know even what's in our own minds, certainly don't know what's in our own hearts. So um, so that's, I I probably would take issue with that right off the bat. But even if you allowed for that, you're still in a place where you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm so confident about this because it makes sense to me. And we just have to be really, really careful that any time I'm saying, well, this just makes sense. That, that is one of the most dangerous phrases that a Christian can ever utter. Hmm. Um, we want to be biblically thinking. I'm not saying that biblical thought doesn't make sense. I'm just saying that if the, if the barometer I'm using is what makes sense to me and people around me and nobody can build a biblical theological case for it, like a real one, not just proof texting and saying like using things and twisting them to kind of support my own ideas. And that's why mm-hmm. you want to read and talk to the best arguments on the other side. Don't be afraid of the best arguments on the other side. It's easy to pick the, the crazy arguments that hold the opposite viewpoint to you and dismiss those out of hand. But find, find the, the, the good ones, and, yeah. and then that'll, that'll help. So. That's really good. So, so segueing into my, 
my yeah. other question. So if if I'm so prone to uh, to the things that I I believe and I'm most excited about, um, why why is it so hard for me to believe that following Jesus is awesome? Right? Because you you gave the point that uh, with uh, what I thought was a fantastic illustration. Um, I I love that idea of the, the the buffet at the party, and that you you don't feel any judgment whatsoever towards the person who is not filling their plate or not taking the cake because you're you're just loving that you get to do that. You don't feel like well this is this horrible obligation so everyone else better pull their weight. Why aren't you doing it like I'm doing it? That doesn't even cross our mind. We're just going and another scoop of that and another scoop of this and a slice of that and we're we're excited about that. But that when it comes to following Jesus, our typical feeling is duty and sacrifice, unwilling sacrifice in a sense. And so the and, and that's made evident by our typical feeling of you need to follow all these rules like me. And if you're not, you're not you're not pulling your weight. You're not doing it right. So what's what's missing? Why why don't we love following Jesus as much as we love cake. <laughs> well, so so just so there's some context to that. Yeah, it's the idea that okay, if I I was trying to make the argument that not only is the law that you and I create for ourselves um, not only is it just it's wrong, but it's also unsatisfying, and and that if we it ends up leading often to grumbling and complaining and bitterness because we're just mad that everybody doesn't see things the way we do or do the things we do. But that's not what it looks like when we're actually following Jesus because we're just so, it, it's so joyful. Um, it's actually life-giving, whereas our own man-made laws are life-crushing. And, and so, but yeah, why don't I feel that way? Like I know biblically that Jesus talks about how easy his yoke is. I know Biblically, that he came for to give us life and life abundant. Um, I know, I know those things, but yeah, why don't I, why don't I see the things of Jesus, and and desire them the way that I would desire other things? And um, you know, that's a really hard question. I was trying to think how do I, how could I, how could I say something helpful to that because. Often where it stops for me is I just, I confront that desire. So let's say I know that reading the Bible this morning is going to be more life-giving than checking my phone or checking my Instagram feed. I know it is. If you ask me and gave me a test in the morning, which one is going to be more soul-satisfying, more life-giving? I I think most Christians would say, well, obviously reading the Bible. But why don't I always do that? Why don't I always want to do that then? If I know it's objectively better, why don't I want it? And I usually stop at just confronting that desire and saying, okay, the problem isn't with the Bible. The problem isn't that I actually think Instagram is better than the Bible. The problem is my desires, my heart level issues, and that I just don't want the right things. I don't see things clearly. But then the problem is, okay, well, then now what? What do I what do, I do with that? Yeah. How do I, How do I not just stop with like, well, my desires are wrong again. I guess I'll just sit right. here until they stop being wrong, and then I want to do that thing. And not default then to, so I guess I'll just 
white knuckle exactly force it to happen which is precisely the problem which is why i'm bummed at everybody else for not white knuckling their dutiful obedience like i am and none of us are enjoying it right and i and and so i thought on on one hand the faithful obedience and trusting god that this thing is better and acting in that obedience is not the same thing as white knuckling it's that's a little bit of a training my palate so you know, if I know that a salad is better than a cheeseburger for me, and I know that I should not be eating as many cheeseburgers and I should be eating more salad, well, one of the ways to deal with that is I start ordering the salad and to train my palate to want to eat that. Because that does happen, right? Like you you train your palate to actually enjoy the things that are better for you, but that takes training. It's not going, it's not going to just happen um, magically. So that's part of it. But I think I, I think what happens in that then is what I have to be committed to is fighting the small battles. Like one of the things I thought about was the reason I have problems in some of the bigger things is because I wasn't willing to fight the battles in the smaller things. Meaning the small temptations that don't have big risks involved or don't have big immediate problems. That's good. Um, if I let those go if I just say, well, that's that's not that big of a deal. Like when it's really important, then I'll then I'll rise to the challenge. The reality is I won't. The reality is I've trained my palate and trained myself to be disobedient to Christ. And if if there's nothing clear in scripture, that whole idea of small becoming big, being faithful in small things and he'll give you bigger things, the kingdom being a mustard seed, like there is it is the small things that matter. The small things are what make up big things. And so God, in his kindness, is training us. He is constantly, every day, giving us all kinds of opportunities to fight against sin in our hearts and to form and train our palates to have right desires. And he starts them in very small ways. It could be something as simple as I walk in the door and I, and I want, to, want to give my kids a hug more than I want to just go and collapse on my bed or just like shut myself in my room or give myself, you know, time or whatever, that I just, I I want to do those small things. And as I do those smaller things, he's building those right desires in me. He's training my heart to respond to, to the better thing. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's good. That's really good. So it's, it's in, what I'm hearing you say is it's in all of those little habits those little routines that are that are pushing all the momentum in in one direction or another right yeah you can't you can't overcome all of the all of the little training all the small things like you just you can't overcome that and we do we just tend to do that like well in the in the big things that matter then I'm I'm faithful and I'm obedient to Christ right. well you'd find that nowhere in scripture Right. Well, and I think I think it was just earlier this morning you made the point of like that's that's the equivalent of saying, "Oh, I don't ever, I don't ever run, I don't, I don't ever exercise." But if someone ever calls me to do a marathon, I'll totally be ready. I'll totally nail it. Yeah. And that's that's actually a good way to die, like to give yourself a heart attack, yep. like to never ever do any of the small things that prepare you to do that. Um, and we know that all over the place. Like you can pick any situation. 
you know, the soldier, the person who served in the military would understand that concept that it's the small things that go in to prepare you. You never would have a soldier that shows up for basic training and says, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do any of those things that you guys are all doing, but when th- the battle comes, I'm ready. Like I'll <laughs> jump in as soon as it matters. Like it doesn't work for the athlete, it doesn't work for the farmer, it doesn't work for the soldier, it doesn't work for any of those things. And yet somehow we think in our own lives, I'm convinced often in my own life that that's, that that'll work that way. That when it's yeah. really important, I will rise to the occasion. And no. It's an, has that ever worked? No. <laughs> Do we have, can we point to a single instance where that has, that has worked? No. So I, I think, I think proactively to just help people like really practically just say, be really proactive in pursuing desires, those, those Christ-like desires in the small things. Like do, do the small things and practice them intentionally. Be intentional and, and proactive about it. Don't just be reactive. It's both. Like he, he trains us in both um, reactive and proactive ways. But, um, but we, need, we just, just need to start doing some of those the small things mm. and, and see how it grows. Like I still remember back in Colorado that we had people – who are just struggling to read the word. And there were a bunch of non-believers and, and new believers, brand new to, a lot of them didn't have a Bible and they had to get their very first Bible and they were just overwhelmed. And and most people who start reading the Bible, you know, they've never never known how to do it. They just start in Genesis and they just start reading it. And, right. you know, how, how quickly do they peter out in that? And so we just started a really simple thing where we said, okay, we're gonna do a five minute challenge. We just want you to read the Bible for five minutes a day and text your your buddy. You're going to like be in groups. We put them in groups of three and we just said, you're going to text each other by the end of the day. And we kind of made a, you know, a joke about it or like we made it the idea of like, you better, you know, you better do it. And so at 1155 PM, if, you know, if I haven't heard from you, I'm calling you. And if I have to call you, then, you know, it's going to wake people up and whatever. And so we'd kind of laugh about it, but it, what it did was these people who felt so, overwhelmed by the idea of reading the Bible and how, where do you even start? What do you even do? Mm. They all of a sudden started being faithful in that five minutes a day. Mm. And it just, it opened the floodgates. Like we had people just devouring scripture Mm. because all of a sudden they're just training their palate. It's just like, if you've never eaten vegetables in your entire life and all you've eaten is junk food, then yeah, starting out on one, like in one meal, eating a giant salad, you're probably going to feel sick. Probably not going to love that. No, you're going to, you're going to feel sick. It's going to be really hard and you're going to hate it and you're never going to want to do it again. But if you just start introducing some of that and say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to just keep training my palate to say, no, this is what's good. And I'm going to fight against the things that are, that are bad and they're warring for my heart in these other ways. And um, it's a great parallel because if, if you have experienced that, if you're someone who has eaten all junk food, gone through the effort of training yourself to eat good food, you find it's difficult to go back Mm -hmm. because you lose the taste for those other things. You actually feel sick when you eat those things. And, and that's not dissimilar. Like it's not just white knuckling. Okay. I guess I'll just love Jesus and, and start not liking these things that I actually really prefer. It's when, when you've had a, a real taste of the thing that is better, you begin to like 
naturally, or in this case, supernaturally, losing your taste for the lesser thing. Yeah. There you go. Does that answer your question? I think so, man. Yay. Great job. Great job. Thanks. That feels like a good place to to wrap up. If If you have questions, if you hear that and you go, okay, what does that look like? How do I, like, what does eating vegetables look like spiritually? Like, how do we... How do we do that? We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to talk through those things with you. If you have any other questions about the the sermon or uh, even just general questions as you're reading your your Bible throughout the week and you come across something confusing or encouraging or alarming, we'd we'd love to know. We it's it is our privilege and our joy to walk alongside you guys as as you are exploring Scripture and and growing in your understanding of how Jesus defines righteousness. Or if you have requests for an impression and you want Robbie and I to compete uh, in impressions, you can also let us know that. What could possibly go wrong with that idea? Yeah. And nothing. Nothing's the answer to that.